Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge in the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know that employers spend a lot of time and energy on the entire employee life cycle, from sourcing to onboarding straight through retention, engagement, and of course, exit interviews. I want you to imagine an organization filled with just the right combination of top quality talent. By all measures, these are the people who should be delivering quality results. Now imagine that both the work and the work environment are stress-filled. We all know what happens because we see it in our own companies. The truth is employees under stress just don't deliver consistent quality results. A major contributing factor to underperforming employees and to poor employee retention is stress. It's clear that workplace stress is gaining steam in today's workforce and that the stress storm is eroding company productivity and success. Further, The company executive and management teams struggle with managing their own stress, which affects team performance and the bottom line across industries. More of our HR leadership peers are demanding a blueprint to tackle workplace stress, as well as best practices to reverse engineer an environment that's conducive to both talent retention and achieving business goals. Luckily, we have a guest today that excels in solving workplace stress. We're pleased to have Lori Warren, a change agent, with us today. Lori is the founder and vibrant living advocate of Warren Wellness, LLC. She also has an MS in clinical and integrative nutrition, training in psychology, biochemistry, and neuroscience, and has plenty of hands-on experience helping individuals and organizations promote wellness. She takes a holistic approach towards promoting healthy workplaces. Lori will be speaking at BLR's 2019 event, TalentCon, the premier event for learning how to recruit, retain, and engage employees. She will be presenting her session, Hot Topic Power Talk number two, fostering stress resilience to unlock workforce potential. And that will be on March 13th at the Sheraton Gunter Hotel in San Antonio, Texas. Lori, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Absolutely. It's truly my pleasure, Jim. I'm excited to be here and to provide our listeners with some information and some takeaways to address stress in their workforce and their company culture at large. Excellent. Let's jump right in. What does the current corporate wellness industry landscape look like when it comes to stressed out employees? <laughs> uh, not so fabulous, Jim. Uh, as technology creates a 24-7 access to employees, meaning employees always feel sort of on top and connected to work, this bleeds the workday beyond the old boundaries of even a few decades ago of, you know, we arrived at work and then we left work. And this 24-7 connection Um, you know, amid other changes, we're really seeing higher rates of stress and burnout in today's companies. 
Now, some of the more progressive companies are addressing the stressors with varying levels of education, uh, training, culture change. But the truth is that those progressive companies are still much more the exception than the rule. Uh, I was recently reading a large study that showed that uh, one million workers in the U.S. are absent every day due to stress. And, you know, it's important to remember that we're not only talking about job stress here, although that can be significant on its own. The truth is, is these employees that work for us also have a personal life that can contain all kinds of stressors outside of the work environment. And I'm referring here to things like work-family balance, aging parents, bills and finances, personal health, and then all the personal and other personal and family responsibilities. And as we all know, personal stressors don't simply disappear when we're at work. So these people at work for us have their work stresses, but they're also bringing in a whole bag of personal stress. And the issue is, is that whether it comes from home or work, it affects our company's Um, our company goals and our bottom line. So stress and its outcomes um, also leads to lost revenue. So job stress is estimated to carry a pretty hefty price tag of over 300 billion with a B um, annually in the U.S. And, you know, people often ask, well, what is that $300 billion? Like, what does that look like? And that they're referring to things like accidents, Um, you know, in physical workplaces, absenteeism, turnover, uh, reduced productivity, and then, you know, direct medical, legal and insurance costs, and workers' comp. So really cultures everything, Jim. And creating and nurturing a stress-resilient culture needs to become part of company values, like literally part of their value statement. So not a one-time seminar or you know, handing out fidget spinners at a meeting. Uh, Psychological stress is a real problem for the workforce. It's a problem for employers too. What is the biggest benefit for employers who adopt stress resilience programs for their workplaces? Hmm. Uh, So there are a lot. (laughs) Um, But I would say a company striving to create a stress resilient culture which they can build via stress management and stress resilient programs and training. Um, That culture can expect to have a higher quality workforce, both through attracting and training top talent. So there's that piece. And then through the development of the talent they already have in place. So meaning that the biggest benefit is that you're just going to have happier, more productive workers. And, and not only that, you're, a company is creating what I like to call company ambassadors. So our employees, like it or not, tell other people about their work experience. So that can be a great thing if you have an awesome culture and um, employees that aren't on the edge of burnout. And these employees will brag about how progressive their company is and what a great work environment it is, which is the best free marketing and recruiting you can get for your company. I forget what the statistic is, but some really high number, I want to say it's like 60% of people before they accept a job offer, um, put out feelers on LinkedIn and in their networks to find out what a company is like to work for. So you can say whatever you want in the interviews, but they're going to find out what the culture is actually like. Um, 
So I know you asked for the biggest benefit, but given everything that can be affected by reducing chronic stress in the workforce, I also have to mention increased profits. So yes, you're going to attract and retain top talent and you're going to get more out of all of the employees you have, but through a more focused creative workforce and through less absenteeism, presenteeism and healthcare costs, you are going to increase your bottom line. Um, honestly, continual psychological stress is really the elephant in the room for so many of the workforce challenges that companies experience. Well, what is the biggest challenge? I mean, you're throwing out these numbers, $300 billion in lost revenue, you know, um, was it a, a hundred million people a day? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so what's the challenge for employers in adopting these stress related corporate wellness initiatives? Why isn't everyone just saying we need to do this right now? Yeah. That's such a great question, right? Like, wow, this seems like it's a really big deal. And anybody can look at their own life and their own stress and be like, well, I can see that's how this would affect companies. So why isn't every single company investing in this? Hands down, the very first, and I hate to pick on leaders, but it's leadership buy-in is the hands down top reason why these initiatives aren't taken seriously or adopted. Um, so not only is leadership buy-in the biggest challenge, but it's also the number one factor required for success. So it's, it's we need leadership buy-in to bring this kind of training into the company, but then um, the success for any wellness program or any program at all within a company is leadership buy-in. So as like with most company challenges, it comes back to leadership and where they're placing value and walking the talk. And I'd love to give just a little example of a company that I was working at and I was there to give a lecture on stress, interestingly enough. And, um, one of the, one of their employees was sort of wrapping up to go attend this lunch and learn discussion about stress, stress management, creating, you know, better stress resilience in yourself. And a manager was manager, that person's manager was overheard saying to another manager, well, if they have enough time to attend a stress, stress lecture, they obviously don't have enough work. <sighs> and <laughs> so, so like, think about that dichotomy for a minute. You're, 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 you're bringing in someone to talk about stress and how to manage it, how to live a more happy, joyful, productive life. And then management's saying, well, you obviously don't have to work if that's that, that piddly stuff is what you're spending your time on. So there's, there can be a real, there can be a real disjoint between what a company is saying with oh, we're going to bring in this program. But if, and that's why I kind of harped a few minutes ago on values. Like it has to be part of your company values. And every leader needs to be marching to that same drumbeat of those values. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Because what was the message to that employee? This isn't important. Don't go to this. Just keep your nose to the grass drum. That, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, perhaps not not as surprising to me as, as it should be. Um, <laughs> sure it's not. <laughs> you know, there's this idea that, you know, if you're not, if your workers aren't working 100% of their workday, then, you know, what are they doing with all that, all that other time? But uh, all that aside, what, what are some common myths or misconceptions about employee stress? You keep asking me a lot of questions where there's a whole bunch of really juicy answers, but I'll give you sort of my top three. So the first common myth 
about employee stress is that it's normal. And, and that's really, um, I'm actually publishing my first book this year. And one of the first things I talk about is common myths in our culture that sort of hobble us at the knees. And one of them is that this sort of crazy busy culture that we've created is seen as very normal. So people being stressed out is seen as normal. So we mm-hmm. live in a stressed out culture and our workplaces are simply a reflection of that. You know, as, as competition for attention of buyers continues to increase as we're all trying to, you know, get a piece of the buyer pie, um, this only fans the fire. So the top one would be that it's normal. Um, another one would be the employees. So this is a big one that, okay, this, let's say I'm a leader and I say, well, employee stress is not the business or concern of me, the employer. Um, that's their personal stuff and they need to deal with that. And honestly, you can have that attitude, but for the health of the company, nothing could be further from the truth. Let's even put aside the fact that it's a good idea, especially in today's competitive environment of trying to get top talent, that it's a good idea to have a culture that resonates caring to the people that it hires and the people that it employs. So putting that even aside, um, you are concerned about your employees just because it is impeding their ability to work to their best. So really nothing could be further from the truth on that one. Um, And then the third one, I think that one of the other really important ones is that people sort of had the attitude, well, there's nothing anyone can do about it. It's just the way it is. And this kind of goes back to the culture thing I talked about just a minute ago. Um, There's absolutely things you can do about it. And I work with companies every day that do something about it. And it's not, you know, like anything to do with a complicated human being. It's not a flippy switch. Like, oh, there, now none of our employees are stressed out. But you can certainly make really big inroads. So it's important to understand that it's not normal, that it is the business of the employer, and that there actually is something you can do about it. What do you think some of the larger implications of a stressed out employee culture are? (laughs) Keeping with the theme of, I can give you a very long list. Um, There's so many. So some of the top ones, again, um, of the biggest implications for having, you know, a stressed out employee culture. um, Number one, employee burnout. When people just, that employee that just ends up getting so stressed out, they're actually not really present at work. They're there and you're paying them, but they are maybe working at half their, the productivity and creativity that they have the ability for. Um, and they're miserable people, uh, more discord and drama in the workforce. Anybody that has kids knows when you go home at the end of the day and your kids are just going crazy, your patience is smaller, Mm. (laughs) right? So when people are under a lot of stress, you know, you've had a work day, you go home, you've commuted, people cut you off, blah, blah, blah. There was an accident and you get home and it's late and you got to get dinner on the table and the kids are freaking out. You just don't have the same patience. And this is the same for employees, you know, in a workforce arena. People have more drama. They tend to lose their tempers more. They don't, they just don't have as much patience for managing and navigating um, human relations, which can be tricky. Um, inability to tra- attract top talent. That's a huge implication of a stressed out employee culture. And I'm not going to get into that because I just went into it a minute ago. Employees talk. People know what the culture of a company is like long before they get there. And if 
if it's a stressful culture, they're just not going to come. Like who would want to sign up for that from the get go? Um, let's see. And then I'd say, you know, the ability to keep the top talent. So once let's say a few people do come in and if the company does, does indeed woo them, woo them over, you're going to get turnover. Um, you know, interestingly on that Inc magazine really, um, recently reported on a large workforce health surveys. I love checking these out. Um, and it showed that 70% of respondents in this huge survey, thousands of people who that participated in the survey were either actively looking for a new job opportunities or thinking about it, you know, sometimes or often. So 70% of respondents, so now, you know, for the HR leaders listening, fan that into your own workforce. Like that would, that's a big bummer that 70% of people are kind of unhappy. Um, and again, stress is a big part of that, a stressful environment at work. And then, you know, increased absenteeism, increased presenteeism, reduced productivity, creativity, which lends to work quality, you know, and of course, increased healthcare costs over time. You know, there's a saying, Jim, that, um, so the, it's, an, it's a saying related to like an individual. And it, the saying says that many of us sacrifice our health in order to make money. And then later we sacrifice our money to recuperate our health, which is sad, but it's true if you look around you. Um, and this is true for companies. So if you bring that into the macro, you know, we sacrifice the health of our workforce, you know, like that manager says, you know, if you, don't, you have time to go to this goofy stress lecture, then you can't possibly have enough work. So you can ignore that in the beginning, but then later you're going to have these escalating healthcare costs and all kinds of productivity issues. And then you're going to have to heavily invest and just do it later. So my message is ignore the stress and it will cost a company far more over time than some programming culture change upfront um, could ever cost the company. So, sorry, I went on and on, but I'm a little bit passionate about that topic. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, you know, and I imagine that um, the, you know, when people are stressed, they make a lot of mistakes too. Absolutely. And that adds And up. mistakes can be like, you know, if you're a desk job employee, mistakes can look like, you know, you know, important stuff, like not filling out financials correctly or, you know, misleading a workshop or all kinds of things. And in a, you know, what I call a physical environment where you actually use your body to do your work, mm. you know, like that, those kind of accidents can be very devastating to everybody involved. What, what is the difference between stress resilience versus stress management? And what is the workplace impact? So we've been talking about stress resilience and that's often a new term for people. Like we're just actually becoming familiar with stress, trust management. And of course I have to up the ante and start talking about stress resilience because that's kind of the next level. So, um, let me start by talking about stress management because that's something that people, um, I recently did um, a, a webinar for a company and, and something like 75% of the people attending the webinar, there were, I don't know, 500,000 people in the webinar, were familiar with stress management, but very few of them were familiar with the idea of stress resilience. So stress management is, um, is very powerful and effective. Um, it includes activities and practices that individuals adopt, such as um, mindful breathing, yoga, exercise, 
um, progressive muscle relaxation, contact with nature, meditation, um, and these stress management methods invoke what's called the relaxation response. So this was a term that was coined by a gentleman named um, Dr. Herbert Benson of Harvard Medical, and he founded the Mind Body Medical Institute. So the relaxation response is, you know, think of it as sort of the opposite of the stress response. So the stress response is when our body prepares to fend off a mugger, you know, the fight or flight. The trouble is, is our body and mind don't know the difference between a mugger and a report that's due, that we're not ready, that we're going to be late on. All the stresses in our everyday life still create the same biochemical reactions in our body. So this gentleman, Dr. Benson, um, figured out this relaxation response and figured out ways that we could actually create it, which is that list that I just kind of went through. And you can see, going back to one of your earlier questions, Jim, about why people have trouble adopting these in their companies, some of these things are just starting to kind of move out as sort of what I call the woo-woo department, where people are like, what? Progressive muscle relaxation. Like, I don't want to talk about that at my company. <laughs> but the truth is, I, I saw an interview a couple of years ago with this um, very well-known hedge fund manager whose name is completely escaping me. And when he was interviewed and asked what he lent his success to, the very first thing he said without missing a beat is he said, my meditation practice. This is a hedge fund manager, like a guy that manages hundreds of billions of dollars of other people's assets. So I think that we all need to kind of get our arms around the fact that these tactics and stress management is not a woo-woo thing. It's actually pivotal for our health. And they create important and beneficial physiological changes in our body and our brain chemistry, um, you know, things such as like bringing down our heart rate, lowering our metabolism, bringing down our respiratory rate. Like the, the, these things that I just listed, things like yoga and contact with nature actually physiologically change our body and, and completely reduce stress. So that's stress management. So then stress resilience as opposed to sort of tactics and practices that you do, stress resilience is something that you embody, meaning rather than um, doing something, it's you're becoming a more, what I call a more conscious steward of your mind. Because at the end of the day, the mind is the bridge and the barrier to everything. So if we can become a more conscious steward of our mind, and it involves using stress management tactics, but what happens over time is that um, when people become adept at things like the art of reframing tricky situations or learning that we have emotions, but we're not our emotions, this reduces the victim mindset that can lead to and exacerbate psychological stress. It's really about changing our relationship with time and with our mind. And we find that over time, we just get less stressed out, like much less than we used to. And we develop habits of mind where emotions don't need to turn to drama and where we automatically turn psychological stress into what I call challenge stress, where you're like, wow, this is exciting that, you know, I only have three days to do this report, but I'm really stoked about it. And I know I can meet this challenge. It's a very different mindset than, oh my God, I have this report due. I'm never going to get it done. Everything's so hard. Like you can feel the difference between those two. So stress resilience brings you more into, hey, I can accept this challenge. So 
both stress management and its cousin, stress resilience, really support the workforce as well as improve the workplace and productivity by lessening the impact of all the negative outcomes that we discussed a minute ago, the discord, the drama, the absenteeism, presenteeism, et cetera, healthcare costs. So um, it's really a key aspect to running a productive company that meets its goals, both stress management and stress resilience. So I hope lots of people that are listening will come down to San Antonio March and learn all about it. <laughs> <laughs> Where where does employee stress resilience currently fall on an employer's priority list when it comes to creating a wellness culture? And do you agree or disagree? And should it be higher? Well, stress resilience, first of all, is probably not even on most people's radar. Like we're we're based, barely just starting to adopt stress management tactics. So I'm gonna I'm gonna address that one. So when an employer comes to terms with these quote unquote soft issues as having a hard impact in their company, they sometimes become open to the idea of employee wellness initiatives and stress is often the first priority. So when a company is open to this, to answer your question, stress management is often one of the first things they want to talk about. The two most common that I work with are stress management, stress resilience, and then the second one, food and health. Because both of those things greatly impact our health and our ability to be productive um, and happy people and employees. So I think that talking about stress and opening a dialogue about it is extremely important for all involved. So, you know, really from first line employees to management to executive leadership to the bottom line. And Unmanaged, unmanaged, unaddressed stress affects the company at all levels. And the sad thing is that many of the leaders in a company, maybe the ones like, you know, the person that commented like, oh, you don't have time to go to this lecture. And those are the ones that really need the stress programming. The leaders are, you know, dealing with really weighty issues and managing and balancing a lot of things. And a lot of them have families and aging parents too. You know, they're just people also, they're just at higher levels, which often means the stresses can feel a lot higher. So they need it, first of all. So when I work with companies, I encourage them to have the leaders go through this stress management, stress resilience training first. So, you know, again, it typically does get high billing once employee wellness is even embraced. And that, you know, is still something that companies are grappling with. A lot of companies... Um, or looking for what I call, you know, the silo programs or the silver bullet. Like, oh, we'll just bring someone in to do, you know, smoking cessation training for one day for two hours. There, we did training around health. It's like, no, it's got to be part of the culture. It has to be part of every day dialogue. It has to be part of the values. Like, it, it needs to be more than a silo program. So, um you know, and I believe that other important factors to help, such as, like I said, food choices, movement, hydration, quality sleep, should really all be part of the conversation. Um, but again, to answer your question, usually when companies start to get interested in it's because of employee stress, so it is high and it should stay high. <laughs> 
Can you share with us a story or case study about how an organization has successfully adopted stress resilience programs? Yeah, so again, you know, stress resilience is a new idea for companies. Um, like I just said, most of which are not even on the, they're on the brink of embracing stress reduction programs at all. So stress resilience moves beyond activities and into the realm of psychology and how we use our mind. And this is a new idea that I champion. So the idea of stress resilience is one that I typically work into stress reduction education over time. So it's kind of a backdoor thing. Right. Um, so one of the companies that I do wellness consulting for has really embraced wellness as part of their culture, including stress reduction. Um, I mean, more than one company, but the one I want to talk about in particular right now. So this company has a huge, very large, high pressure, pressure sales force. And so a little bit about my background. I actually, before I got into wellness work, which I've been doing for a few decades, I worked in in corporate, I worked in high technology for, you know, a dozen or more years. So I have the luxury of knowing, I'm not just sort of talking philosophically. I know very much what it's like to work in a very high stress environment. And I worked in finance, um, which is one kind of stress. And then I worked in sales, which is a completely another one. So this particular company has a very large sales force, like their sales force heavy. And it's very, you know, like most sales forces, it's fairly high stress. Um, additionally, their demographic has a large cohort of, um, millennials. So, um, which is a, you know, a different mindset. Um, and additionally being, I, I'm in the greater Boston area. So this company is also in the greater Boston area. And like many of the world's major cities, we have very, I'll call them long and long, long and arduous commuting. <laughs> which adds to a whole other stress. So I'm just kind of setting the stage for this company with, you know, um, very high pressure, a young cohort, which means they haven't really learned how to manage stress yet. Not that any of us have, but, you know, young people, they get out of college and then they're in this high pressure environment. It's a totally new deal. They're commuting these long hours. And, and what I hear working with these employees one-to-one within the companies is, they're just not prepared to deal with all this huge influx of stress. So it's a culture that's for this particular company, which is a recruiting firm that could be ripe for chronic stress and burnout. But this company has really embraced ideas. Um, you know, some of the examples, Jim, are like, um, they've embraced the idea of like walking meetings. So if you have like three meetings, you can go for a walk. This is a great stress reduction. It doesn't really work if you have like nine people because it's just too hard to talk. Um, <laughs> Uh, doing flex scheduling options, you know, allowing them a lot of flexibility with how and when people work. <clears throat> they do um, their New York office does, um, we call them team building movement breaks. This is actually really funny. This is a small office that the New York office, I don't know, maybe got 20 people and they have a timer that goes off on certain days, like every hour and everybody drops down and does like 10 push-ups or something. Um, this is fun. Like it's, it's like a team building. They're letting off some steam. They're moving their body. Um, and the other thing that I love they've done is we've created a, what we call a Zen room there. You could call it a, you know, a timeout room. Um, it's really a space for employees to decompress and recharge. And what's interesting is, is that it's placed 
and this was intentional. It's placed right next to one of the main meeting rooms in the company that is completely glassed in. So everybody can see who's going in and out of the Zen room. And it's just part of the company culture. Hmm. No one says like, why is that person going in the Zen room? They obviously don't have enough work to do. <laughs> they, because they've been trained, you know, and the management's all on board. They understand like, oh, that person's going in to get a 10 minute reset so they can come back out and be more healthy and more productive for the rest of the day. Like they really understand that kind of, um, you know, approach. So we also repeat stress management training every year on site. Um, and at every lecture I give there, I bring in ideas of what I call mind savvy. So again, this is using the mind intentionally instead of reactively, which is the hallmark of stress resilience. So when I was talking earlier and I said, I get stress resilience in a kind of a backdoor way because a lot of, a lot of folks aren't even ready to embrace stress management, right? So, but if I can go in with like real things like, okay, we're going to teach people breathing exercises and we're going to teach them a different way to, you know, kind of approach an interaction with somebody. Then I can kind of come in through the back door when I'm lecturing and working with people one-to-one and bring in ideas of using the mind more intentionally. So that's an example, you know, of a company that over time, you know, I've worked with them over several years you know, a lot more upfront, but then over the years of, again, it's not enough to just put in a program or do training. You have to maintain it. You have to keep it going. It's a good idea to brand the program and, you know, kind of put excitement around it. There's a whole bunch of things that's important to do to keep this thing front and center in the company value system and in everyday dialogue. Yeah, those are great examples. Um, you know, when I think of when I think of CEOs, you know, they're they have these quarterly earnings reports. Uh, they're very in the numbers right now, you know. And I'm sure when they hear these numbers like 300 billion dollars in lost revenue, that's probably essentially invisible to them, because if you look at it in a short term, you know, you're not going to be able to see. Oh well, John didn't put in his reports in time, and that equals, you know. Uh, $3,000 in loss, you know, they're going to, and if you, you know, if you have an environment where there's stress that's, that's steady, then you will never see the, the amount that you're losing. So what would you say to someone that's, you know, a, a leader of an organization who doesn't prioritize stress or stress related employee programs? Ooh, that's a good juicy question. Um, First, the first thing I would say, right, so I'm talking to a company leader right now, CEO, and I would say, first of all, I understand why you feel that way because, you know, company leaders are, are stressed out too. As we talked about a minute ago, they're pulled in many directions with many urgent matters presented to them on a daily basis. And like you mentioned, Jim, these leaders are also reporting to a person or a team, like a board of directors. A lot of companies have investors. They have to, you know, answer to that. And again, these stress reduction programs are often seen as kind of a woo-woo or a soft skills that are sort of nice to have. So isn't that nice? Like we have, you know, Monday meditations for our employees. Aren't we, you know, nice to do that? And it's really beyond, it's not, it's not just nice. Mm. And so with those as my lead, first of all, I understand. So it's not that these people are idiots or they're bad managers or anything else. They have a lot of stress. And they are looking at the bottom line every day. So first thing is understanding. And then, and then I would say, um, 
<laughs> I understand. And now you need to wake up. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, it's pointing out that this is like, okay, I love to use like really simple metaphors to just say, okay, here's the deal. If you have a disturbing noise in your car and you think you can just ignore it and it'll get better, like you and I both know that like never happens. <laughs> if you have a disturbing noise in your car, it's going to get worse, right? Yep. And, and or, or let's use a different example. Let's say somebody smokes. And I'm using that as an example because like everybody knows that smoking's bad for you. Like you can't argue about it, right? We could argue over whether certain foods are good or bad or certain interactions, blah, blah, blah. But it's very clear that smoking is not healthy for the body. So I would say to the leader, if someone stops smoking on Tuesday, their health isn't any different the next Tuesday. It takes a while when you start to make changes that affect the health of an organism, either a human organism or a corporate organism. When you start to make changes, it takes time to see the effects. And so what I would say is, hey, let's sit down and talk about statistics. And I would present, you know, one of the things I do when I'm working with companies, let's talk about ROI and VOI, your return on investment and your value and the value you get on investment. And let's go through some numbers and let's see what that looks like. And, and the truth is, is that most of the research shows it's about a three to one for a return on investment. Um, meaning for every dollar you spend, then you get $3 back. That's huge. In savings. It's huge. But, but here's the thing that is huge and it's yay. Awesome. But let's just say you get a one-to-one, let's say you're at the book, like it's one-to-one somewhere between one-to-one and one-to-three. Let's say you get a one-to-one. So I spend a dollar and I get a dollar back, which means really nothing happens. Quote unquote. Right. Right. But for that exchange, you have employees that feel like you actually care about their health. You have employees that are attending things that you are bringing in for them simply because you want to help them bring their best selves to work every day. I personally would rather work for that company than, and I've worked for both kinds of companies. I worked for some very gnarly, challenging companies, like culturally. And I didn't like going there. Yeah. Truthfully, it just wasn't fun. And I was not my best self at work. I can absolutely tell you that. And when I'm working, when I worked for now, I work, you know, for my own company, but when I worked for a company that was more progressive and, you know, had obvious things in their culture that lent to employee wellness, I was more excited to work there. So my message is, is even if you get a one-to-one, you're still, you're still in the win. So I think that, you know, human stress is real. It's more prevalent than ever. And you, Mr. or Mrs. Leader, as you're pondering ways to make your company more competitive, successful, and attractive to top talent, creating a stress-resilient culture should be at the top of your list right next to the new state-of-the-art product or the new service you're thinking about creating or any of those things. Like it's literally, that's why someone like a hedge fund manager cites meditation as one of the biggest reasons for their success. What, what do you think the most important factor in the successful implementation of stress-related programs in the workplace is? <laughs> 
Jan, you keep asking me for the most important. You know, I have a hard time with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all joking aside, like there's literally no question with this one. It's again, we're back to leadership buy-in. Leadership buy-in. So when I say that's a little bit like I'm an overused term right now, leadership buy-in, leadership buy-in, like literally leadership naming the issue and then supporting its resolution. So, you know, like a lot of us do, I've seen that leadership sometimes doesn't seem to want to name stress as an issue because they're afraid that stress will become sort of this scapegoat excuse for everything. Like, oh, well, my report's not done because I'm stressed out. You know, we've been talking about stress. And that's not what happens. You know, real buy-in, everybody gets on board. It's not the whole point of stress management, stress resilience is moving from a victim mindset to a greater, what I call a greater mindset. And real buy-in is where stress reduction becomes a strong, continual thread in the fabric of company dialogue. You know, I was so, um, I was really, I get excited. Like I read things that, you know, I'll see an article where a leader, you know, really stepped out of sort of the box of norm and was rewarded for it. And there was an article just a few weeks ago. Um, and again, I think it was on Inc.com, Inc. Magazine's website. And the Cisco CEO, I don't know if you heard about this, um, sent out an email to 75,000 employees. And the subject line was, uh, I want to say it exactly, making mental health a priority. Hmm. This was huge, right? And what happened is, is not only did a dialogue get open, and this is becoming more and more prevalent. I don't know if you, um, you know, this is outside of the confines of like the companies we're talking about, like Kevin Love, who's an NBA star, wrote an article a few years ago about his battle with depression. And they basically had a panic attack in the middle of a playoff game, which is kind of a drag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and for a whole bunch of people. Um and, and he wrote about it. So we're starting to talk more and more about sort of quote unquote mental health, like health of the mind. How can we be more healthy in the mind? And this Cisco CEO um, got hundreds of emails back from his employees, hundreds. It became like this whole project of, oh my gosh, thank you for bringing this to the forefront. This is what I'm struggling with. Like all of a sudden it was like, okay to talk about it. And I can tell you that just naming something, all of a sudden, employees are like, oh my gosh, our CEO is actually a human. Wow. Like, they actually care about, like, I'm kind of being funny, but I'm kind of not, right? Like, they actually care about our individual health experience, you know, health, body, and mind, right? So the best thing leadership can do is start the conversation, Jim. You know, take action by backing that up with, true ongoing support, dialogue, training, and then actually following through. So this is about, you know, doing the right thing, not only because it improves so many success measures of the company, which it does, but also because companies need to build cultures they're proud of, you know, where integrity and caring about the workforce becomes the new meaning of quote unquote business as usual. Anytime we're interfacing with people, caring should be part of the equation. And I'm not shy about saying that. By the way, like, what's the point? Yeah. So running a company is people heavy. There's a lot of people. So caring should be part of the equation and stress and stress reduction need to be part of the everyday discussion about how to be our 
again, our best, most productive, most happy selves at work. Well, that's all, that's all very great advice. Um, I'm hoping that our listeners enjoy it as much as I do, and I'm sure that they will. Um, thank you again uh, for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, no, this was fun. And this is, as you can probably tell from how loud my voice got, this is a big passion topic for me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I feel like it's really important. I'm super excited to um, go to San Antonio in March and have some more you know, dialogue with people in person about it. It sounds like a great session. The session is, of course, the one Lori Warren will be presenting called Hot Topic Power Talk Number 2, Fostering Stress Resilience to Unlock Workforce Potential. That'll be on March 13th, 2019 in San Antonio, Texas, at TalentCon, an HR Daily Advisor event. To learn more about this and other events, check out live.blr.com. Listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR work should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast or with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>